0: Um, we have been in, in this series, if you're brand new uh, today, um, we're glad you're here. We've been in this series called uh, Game of Thrones. And we've been really looking at what's it look like when different things are on the throne of our lives. Because um, it happens from time to time. And we talked about guilt um, in week one, that when guilt is on the throne of our life, uh, then God can't take his rightful place there. And so many of us live with guilt and regret from the past something we've done years ago, uh, maybe something we did last night. Like, we carry this guilt um, around. And Jesus paid the price for that. Like, the Bible tells us there is now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to carry around guilt. Uh, we talked about shame. And, and guilt and shame are, are two different things, although very similar. Uh, guilt is, I did something wrong. But shame is, I am wrong. Or guilt is, I, I made a mistake. The shame is I am a mistake or I'm not good enough. We carry that around with us um, all the time. So many people live their life going, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm a mistake. I'm not smart enough. Not rich enough. Not pretty enough. Not thin enough. And it's this barrier of shame that holds us back and will not let God, uh, the Savior take its place on the throne. We talked about what it looks like uh, when the uh, Word is on the throne. As we're beginning this 90 days through the Bible journey, uh, we talked about what does it look like when the Word of God is, is on the throne of our lives. And um, last week, we talked about what does it look like when I'm on the throne of my life. Um, because it, it's always very different. Than that, but when I'm on the throne of my life, it always leads to the same place. For you, for me, uh, for the Israelites that we've been reading about in the Old Testament, when they would put themselves on the throne, it would look like complaining, it would look like excuses, um, and, and it would look like separation. And it's the same. And I don't have to stand up here and, and be very smart because I can sit down with any of you in here um, over a cup of coffee and say, hey, what was the worst experience of your life? What was the worst time of your life? And, and if it wasn't an illness, I guarantee it's something that you walked into on your own because you decided that you knew what was best. And all of us can. like All of us have that story. Because it never changes. Today, So we're going to look like what does it look like when God is on the throne of my life? This is the last week we're going to be in the Game of Thrones series. Uh, Next week we're going to start um, a series called "What's Next." Like what's next? Because we've in ninety days through the Bible, we've got to the point where they're on the edge of the promised land. They're getting ready to enter in, and everything's about to change for them. So we're going to talk about what's next um, in the life of of God's people, um, and and also what's what's in our life for the next several weeks. But one of the things that I love to do and, and my wife thinks it's very weird and I've said this before but, but I love to watch shows about serial killers. Like I, I love it. I don't know why. Like yesterday I watched Investigation Discovery for like four hours um, and there's something about and it's not actually the, the serial killer I don't think that I like but it's the process of actually how they catch them. You know like they go through all the, the, the details and, and yesterday I was watching about cold cases And they would pull up all of these files from 30, 40 years ago and they would look over all of the details of the case and see what did we miss? And I just love that journey of going from here we are and and we don't know who it is, we don't know what it is, all the way over to here to this is how we figured it out. This is how we came up with the answer. Um, I I love that. Um, And that people are getting chopped up is cool in in the meantime, Um, But it's something else that I I also enjoy that my wife hates. Now, she thinks I'm weird for watching serial killers and and shows like that. But she hates when I watch Oak Island. I don't know if any of you are like Oak Island fans or like, yeah, like I am. Like I love the show and I don't know. My wife says it's the dumbest thing on the planet. But I love it. They're searching for this treasure. They're spending millions of dollars searching for this treasure. um, and, And they don't even know if it's there for sure or not. But I love the, just the detail that they go into of they're drilling holes here and spending millions of dollars. And like, I can't wait. The next season will start in, in November probably like it always does. And I can't wait for it to start for another seventh year of disappointment, I think. <laughs> because every show is the same. Like it really is. Like, oh, we're gonna find something great today and oh, we didn't really find anything. But for some reason, like, I'm like, like, I love it. One more thing that I, I liked, and I didn't even talk about this in the, in the first Service, but this is going to tell my age a little bit. Some of you may be even too young to, to, to get this. How many of you remember the old game Oregon Trail? Any of you? Yeah. Like I loved that game. You'd start off somewhere in the city, um, and you'd have to buy all your supplies, and then you're setting out on the Oregon Trail, and uh, all kinds of jacked up things happen to you on the way. Like your kid gets diphtheria, and you get water sickness, and a bear mauls you, and you've got to figure out how you're going to make it all the way to, to Oregon or California um, on the West Coast with enough surviving members of your family to, to start life. Um, Strange game. But I loved it because it's part of the journey. Like you're on a journey from here uh, to, to here and how you get there is just as important as, as the end result. And that's what God was doing with the nation of Israel. So that we met them and uh, we, we went through Adam and Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Jacob and the whole crew and when they wound up in slavery, Uh, for 400 years, and then God delivers them from slavery. And he says, I'm taking you on a journey from here, from Egypt, over here to the promised land. Very similar to to Oregon Trail. Very similar to the process that it takes of, of moving any group of people. And we're talking millions of people at this point in history. There's millions of Israelites. And God is saying, okay, I'm gonna take you from here, from slavery, over to here, but I've gotta be on the throne of your life. I've gotta be the one in in control. And it's really no different for us today. God is saying, hey, I've got, you're here wherever you're at today. You're here, and God said, I wanna take you over here. Like, I've got a promised land for you, I've got something great for you, but listen, I've gotta be on the throne of your life. And when God's on the throne of our life, listen, there is design. We learn that all the way through um, the, the Old Testament and even the New Testament. Like, there is design and there's order. Cuz if we're going to go from here from slavery in Egypt, whether we're the Israelites or us today, where we're going to go from here to here, there has to be design. And people will read the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers. And listen, that's hard reading. Like that is miserable reading. Oh, all the Bible like yes, like all the Bible's great, but that's boring. Like it is, it, it is hard to get through. But what we we don't don't understand is that there was design in all of it because God's trying to move a million people from here over to the promised land, to here. And so he set up some systems. He set up a sacrificial system that we talked a little bit about in order to to push back their sin to, to, to the day when Jesus would come and take it away. So there was a system in place that said, hey, when you're traveling, when you're on this journey from here to here, you're, you're gonna sin, you're gonna mess up, you're gonna lose focus, you're gonna lose track, you're gonna complain because there's gonna be a time when you put yourself on the throne and it's gonna lead to separation and it's gonna lead to excuses and it's gonna lead to complaining, but, but I'm gonna make a way for that to, to be fixed. So he created a sacrificial system that would really point to Jesus who would be the ultimate sacrifice for us. You see, there was, there was design. We don't like to read about it, but there was, but there was design. There was a dietary system, dietary guidelines. We read through that and we think, why in the world would God put dietary guidelines in place? Why can't they eat shellfish? And why can't they eat this animal and that animal and, and bacon? Like, God, what do you have against bacon? But again, you've got to understand, God's trying to move a million people from here to here. And there is no medical um, ability at that point. Like there's no medical technology established so god's creating a dietary guideline that says hey if you eat this stuff you're going to be the safest healthiest on this journey over here you're not going to eat bacon and get blood pressure problems and die of a heart attack see so there was a design to, to everything in there because god's getting he's trying to move people from one place to another The festivals, like I I love the festivals that that were in the the books of Leviticus and Numbers. Uh, There were five sacrifice, uh, types of sacrifices, um, but there were seven festivals because God's telling his people, listen, I want you to celebrate. I, I don't want you to, to be out here and, and be bored and to, to not be contagious and not be any of those things. What I want is I want you to celebrate. So, seven different celebrations, God's saying, hey, I want you to remember all that I've done for you, and I want you to celebrate it seven times. Because there's a design, because when you're on a journey that long, sometimes it, it gets weary. Sometimes it feels a lot like complaining. Sometimes the circumstances that you're going to encounter aren't what you thought you might encounter. But God created design. This is what he said in Leviticus 26. He said, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out of, to make room for the new. Wouldn't that be awesome, farmers? Used to, yeah, like you have to move the old stuff out because you got so much new. Because says, I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. and I'm setting you free. I freed you from from this slavery, and if you stay in my design for things, you will always stay out of slavery. You will always stay free. You will always be able to walk with your head held high. So I'd say if you're not living in, in freedom, if you're not living with your head held high, then probably somewhere you've stepped out of God's design for your life. See, because we're on a journey. God's trying to move us from here to here, but he's got a design in how we're going to do it. And every time we step outside of that design, every time we step outside of that system that God's created for us, it brings about destruction in our lives. And listen, even when it doesn't make sense, we're called to do it. Young people, like if you're here, listen, and you're dating, if you follow God's design for dating and for marriage and for relationships, listen, God says you will live in freedom and your head will, will be held high. But look, I'm telling you, and probably most of us adults in here can tell you uh, to, with, a, with truth that if you step outside of that, it's going to lead to guilt and shame and slavery in your life. Even though it doesn't make sense. Because God's got a design to move his people from one place to another. Also, when God's on the throne, there is there's direction. There's there's direction and purpose. I love it. We saw how God said, Hey, this is how I want you to build the tabernacle. And this is how I want you to build the tent of meeting. There were specific directions on how to do it. He said, I want to, we're gonna, the way he directed the tribes to line up around the camp um, so that he was at the center. There, there was direction. And I love that. Listen to, to Numbers 9, 22 and 23. He said, whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. and the Lord, At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. Like they were just following God's direction. Like, hey, you camp here. When the cloud moves away, you just go follow it. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know what was between here and, and where it was gonna go. They didn't know how long they were gonna walk. They didn't know how long they were going to be able to camp. They they were just saying, God, we're going to follow your direction. And when they didn't, they got in trouble. When they didn't, they wound up in places that they didn't want to be. God was feeding them with with manna from heaven. And and I love this story. And and he kind of directed them that, hey, I'm going to provide food for you. I'm going to do and they started craving meat, like me. So God said, I'll give you meat. And I love this story. He, he sent quail down. And when, when you read it in the Bible, it doesn't make a lot of sense because they use weird measurements. But basically what it was, it was quail that was between six and eight feet deep on the ground. So that's even taller than me. As far a walk as a, oh, a day's walk. So people think that they have probably walked about eight to ten miles in a day you got about eight feet of quail for eight to 10 miles. And God said, you're gonna eat it all. Talking about the meat sweats, man. But he said, you're gonna eat it until it's coming out of your nose. Because they got outside of God's direction. I was thinking about that with the, with the cloud and the, and the tent and the tabernacle and everything's packed up and, and God's dwelling over there. Um, I, like, I wonder how much time he gave them like to, to unpack everything and pack it all up and to get out the door and, and be ready to go. It's a million people after all. Like some of us have trouble getting our kids out the door in the morning. Like can you imagine like the, the, the chaos that would have happened at that point? Because God's it, he's proven that, hey, if you don't follow my design, if you don't follow my direction, there are, there are consequences to it. And he did it on purpose all the way through the Old Testament to show us how significant sin was in our life. That it always brings about death and destruction. If you're not living with purpose in your life, listen, I'm telling you, you're not following God's direction for your life. Because you have purpose. If you're following God's direction, he gives us purpose. And people always ask me, well, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Why, why am I here? What is, what is God's will for my life? And I'll tell you, it's really, it's, it's twofold. And the problem is we get B before A most of the time. A, your number one purpose, your number one reason for being is very simple, it is to point people to Jesus Christ. Like that's it. So when people come to me and they say, hey, what's my purpose in life? Or, or I don't know what God wants. Or I don't know the, the direction I'm supposed to go. My first question is, how many people have you led to Jesus? Because that's the number one purpose of everybody here. Is that we're to point people to God and through Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God's desire was a relationship with people. Adam and Eve. Uh, all throughout this, uh, what we just read in, in Leviticus in Numbers. Was God's desire to have a people for himself. All people. So number one uh, purpose, number one objective of our life is to point people to God through Jesus Christ. Number two, the twofold part of that is how you do that. And that's the one that people always get in front. Like, how, how, it's how, like I don't know what God wants me to be. Because you can do that as a teacher or a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer or, or, or a factory worker or a preacher or a stay-at-home mom or any other career field. You can do that in any field that you want. But the number one purpose, he's got to be first. A's got to be first before B. You got to follow the direction that God has for your life. And then there's a difference. As God had led him on this journey from here in slavery, he got him right to the edge of the promised land. And the, the next step was, was going to be pretty terrifying for them. Like they'd traveled, they'd seen all kinds of things. They've been following God's direction for the most part. They would get out of whack every once in a while and, and wind up in a bad place, kind of like us. They were, for the most part, living by God's design and the sacrificial system and the dietary guidelines and um, the, the festivals and celebrations that they were called for. They'd get out of line every once in a while and, and they would see that that's not the way to go. But they get right to the edge of the promised land, right to where God wants to, 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 to bring them into. And Moses sends out 12 people to spy out the land. He says, I want you to go in and, and check out the land. See, see what it's like in there. And they go in and they come back and, and they report, man, God, the, the, our Moses, the land is amazing. It's a land flowing with milk and honey just like God had promised. Now I, mean, I talked about that like what does milk and honey mean? Well milk meant it was great for cattle. Like they, the, the land would have been great for feeding cattle because that's where milk comes from. And honey, like it would have been full of vegetation, full of, of produce because bees are there and they're pollinating flowers and they're getting honey. So it would have been this, this amazing land that would provide all of their sustenance that they would need. Said so, man, they came back with a report that the, the vines and the, the the grapes are huge. Everything is amazing in this land, but they said the people are too big. We can't win. The people in there, they said that they're, they're giants. They're the descendants of, of Anak, and I don't even know who that was. But but it sounds pretty serious. That so, there's no way we can go in and take that land. So the whole nation then revolts up against Moses and says, hey, we, we're not going in there. We're not gonna fight. Except for two. Joshua and a guy named Caleb. And in Numbers fourteen twenty four it says, because, but because my servant Caleb have a different, has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. He had a different spirit. There was something different about Joshua and about Caleb who who would inherit the land. You know, because God was so mad at the rest of the people because they just didn't believe. Like Joshua and Caleb, they, they said, yeah, the land's great, yeah, the people are big, but you know what? God's already told us we can have that. God's already given us that. That's ours if we go. And the other ones are like, no, we're too scared. We can't do that. So God said all of you except for Joshua and Caleb all of this generation will die and they will not see the promised land they're going to be stuck right on the edge because they had the spirit of fear think about how many funeral meals Joshua and Caleb went to over the next 40-50 years to watch them die, die, die And what's even weirder in that story to me is that a little bit of time passes. God already told him, hey, you're all going to die before you go into that land. The land's great. I promised it to you. You're not going to make it. So a little bit of time passes, and a group of them says, hey, now let's go in and take the land. Like, what? And Moses tells them, don't. Don't go. Because if you go now, you're going on your own strength. You're going on your own power. God's not going to be with you and you will get destroyed. And they went anyway. And they got destroyed. God's looking for for a different spirit. When God's on the throne of our life, it creates a different attitude. There was a difference between Joshua and Caleb and it was that they were not dominated by fear in their life. So many of us, we live our lives dominated by fear. God's taking us on this journey from here to say, hey, on the promised land, and we get right on the edge of doing something great for God, doing something meaningful for God, and what happens is we back away in fear, saying I can't do it because those people over there are are too big or too mean or too selfish. They're they're not going to understand my decision. They're going to make fun of me. They're going to think I'm some holy roller, and we back off because of the fear that's in us. But if God's on the throne of our life, it's different. We don't fear what's next because we know God's already there. We know God's already promised us that. I see so many churches that are dominated by fear. 1,200 pastors every month get out of the ministry. Churches are closing down in record numbers every single week. And I think it's because of fear of what's next. It's fear of of change. It's fear of doing what God has called us to do even though we know that he was what he wants us to do. It's to reach more and more lost people. There's a difference when God's on the throne. Different in in the way that we do church because we are the church. It's not about preachers meeting the needs of all the people. It's about the people taking care of the people. We're different in the way that we view our money and our finances because we know that God's the one that's blessed us with all of this anyway and we're just called to be stewards of it. It's a difference in the way that, that we view service and that we are called to save people, serve people. The difference in the way that we view people when people aren't just a means to an end and we use them and we take advantage of them to get what we want but we understand that people are the end and that God's desire is to have a relationship with them no matter where they've been or what they've done. And when we live different, we make a difference. And I would say in your life if you're not making a difference then you're not living up to your potential. And God's desire is not to punish you for that. God's desire is to put to get himself on the throne so that you can live up to your potential and make a difference in the lives of people around you. So my question today would be very simple. Is God on the throne of your life? Does your life look like design and order? Or does it look like chaos and and it's out of control and you're tired and you're anxious and you don't even know what's up? Does your life look like direction and, and purpose? Or does it look like you're wandering around aimlessly, like not knowing what's next? Are you making a difference? Because that's God's desire for you. When he gets on the throne of life, what he's trying to do, he's trying to move us from here to a promised land, to somewhere better. And you can let fear hold you back, can let anxiety hold you back, you can let design hold you back and and not understanding and say, well, I'm not going to do it because I don't understand it, then you'll never live up to your potential. So today, I don't know where you're at on this journey from here to here. I don't know what your next step may look like. But I would just encourage you today, as we stand, I'm gonna ask you to stand. If you feel like that God has given you some direction today, that you would step into that. Father God, we come to you today thankful for who you are. God, thankful for the way that you work in our lives, that God, you do give us direction, that you have created design, not not only in in the way that we live, but God, even even in our very selves, that you've, you've designed us in your image, and you direct us to make a difference in the lives of others. So Lord, I just pray today, even for myself, that if you're not on the throne, if there's something else sitting there, Lord, I pray today you would direct us to get it off, They would put it aside, and God, and begin with you on the throne today. It doesn't matter where we were yesterday, doesn't matter where we were last month or last year, God, today we can put you on the throne. And that's my prayer. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen.